Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? Obviously, we don't like familiar fear. None of us like it. But when you get past it, you get a little win. And provided it's not a bad fear like a murderer or something, and it's a good fear, you can usually grow and evolve and become more and more fearless as a result. I met today's guest many years ago in Uluru when she came and ran yoga sessions for all the participants at a corporate conference I was attending. She was fantastic and her energy, practical approach and beautifully frank demeanour made me love her immediately. Lola Berry went on to do so many things since then. Today she's an actor, TV host, podcaster, nutritionist and writer. Now, when I say she's a writer, Lola is a best-selling author of an enormous amount of 11 books and has worked in the media industry for over a decade. She's into her fifth year of studying acting and TV hosting and is currently living an amazing life between LA and Byron Bay. Lola is a regular guest on TV shows and an ambassador for Aussie household brands like Oral-B, ANZ, Honda Cars, Campbell's and Grilled Burgers. Lola is also the co-creator of medicinal brain tonic coffee, Lola Coffee. And amongst all that, also has a podcast called Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry, where she interviews notable profiles about their failures and how it's the tough times that actually shape and help us grow, which we believe in immensely here. Lola is a passionate person about inspiring and empowering others to look after themselves mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Now, the podcast led to the release of her 11th book with the same name title, Fearlessly Failing, and is all about how to grow through challenges and embrace the lessons so-called failure can teach us. Lola is a what you see is what you get kind of gal. No bells and whistles, just the real deal. And as you're about to hear, so bloody refreshing. Lola Berry, I cannot tell you how bloody excited I am to be almost in the same room as you, but welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited too. I've done a big stalk of you. I've taken my question very seriously. I was didn't want to pick anything that anyone else had picked. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got lots of topics, I'm sure, because if there's a person that hyphen careers are created by about, it's probably you. In, uh, you've been doing this for many, many years. But let's kick in. If there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? Well, I'm really passionate about failure and fearlessly failing because I think a lot of people are scared of failing, but at the end of the day, if you look back at all the times where you're like, okay, I've learned something about myself, I've grown, I've built a new skill set, often it's come as the result of a failure. If you think about it, you're like, oh, I don't like that thing about myself, or I did this thing and it didn't work. You kind of need to outsource. You either need to work on yourself, you need to face something you don't like, or you need to change, or it gets you into facing your mental health. Like, I just think failure is the biggest gift. And if you're open to it, you can really transform yourself, you can grow, you can learn. And yeah, I'm all about it. 
Oh, I so love that. You're talking my language. And it's something that we do talk about a lot on the podcast around that embracing imperfection and, you know, having, I sort of term it now, I've been using this sort of the last couple of months, more of a experimental approach to something. So rather than going into a project and freaking out about it, going, oh, I don't know how to do this. I've never done it before. Going, well, this is an experiment. Let's see where it goes. And, you know, with an experiment, you kind of feel like you're used to the fact that it's probably going to fail. So I love that your whole notion about this, you've got a podcast under that name, you've written a book about it. What are the key elements or what's something that guests have taught you or that have come up that have surprised you the most about, you know, failures that they've experienced or something they've learned? Oh, mate, I could talk about guests all day long, but usually the most successful people have had the roughest trots, usually, and they'll be really, like I remember I had Joe Wicks, the body coach on, who's this humongous health and well-being personal trainer based in England, and he opened up about his dad being a heroin addict and he opened up about growing up on the wrong side of the track and he's got so much drive, so much determination, but he's so humble and grateful. And I think that's the other thing, like, Success with humble and no ego is like a superpower. And I've interviewed like incredible actors and they're like, if somebody says no to you, it's just their opinion. It's not a reflection of you. And I'm like, to be able to have that skill set to go, okay, that's cool. That's your opinion. It doesn't mean that it needs to be mine. That's really powerful. So yeah, I love it all. I couldn't even pick, you know, a fave moment because I just learned so much from everyone. I think that one that you said then about that person's opinion, that was Anthony LaPaglia, wasn't it? He was saying about that, you know, with don't take that on and just try again unless it's like four people or something that tells you that. <laughs> then maybe they're he, he was incredible. Was and he? he said, just be good. Be good. <laughs> he's like, and forget the fluff. There's a lot of fluff in act. You know, like it was so amazing. You know, I was so nervous though because he's like the king, right? You know, yeah, so yeah. But yeah, he was How incredible. Cool. How fun to, you know, interview an Australian-American, a bit like you doing the cross between the two. So shed your stories and I want to hear what is it, why is it that you created the podcast, I guess, first because of, you know, epic failures and well, what what's one of your, you know, most interesting or epic failures that you're willing to share? The reason why the pod existed is because... <laughs> I'm a chatterbox. You've probably already picked that one up. But also I love long-form interview. I love this idea of holding space for another human being and celebrating that human being because although we're talking about failure, we're also talking about their success and their wins and what makes them tick, you know. And so for me it exists because it's now part of me. Like I love it so, so, so much. It's something I'm so excited to do. I get excited about even the diary episodes, which is just me waffling every Friday. Like I just love it all. As far as my own epic failures, I have a real perler for you. It was a great lesson because it was a fall from grace because my ego was probably getting a bit needed a check-in. But I'd got to LA, I'd signed with an acting agent, a commercial acting agent, so I was so excited. So a commercial acting agent means they literally put you forward for commercials. Had my American accent ready to go, like I was (laughs) primed, ready. In this audition, it came through, they said, funny girl, Kristen Bell type. And I thought, oh yeah, that fits me. And I'm reading, it's the first audition that came in from my agent. So I had to do it no matter what. And I'm reading the script and I was like, oh my goodness, this is an ad for vagina deodorant. And I literally (laughs) had to set up my camera and look down the barrel and go, I'm your fanny godmother. And then I had to make a makeshift wand with a ruler and I had to put ribbon around it and I had to point, right? I had to go, this deodorant is safe to use on your whole body 
from your privates point to my vagina, to your pits point to my underarms and your feet and point to my feet. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. So I put it up in an American accent and then I was like, this is way too funny. I have to do it in an Australian accent because you imagine an Aussie accent. I'm your fanny godmother. And so, yeah, I did it, did it in American, did Australia, my first audition, didn't get it. But I was like, wow. So I think I thought I was going to go in and be auditioning for the next Margot Robbie film, but it wasn't yeah. quite the case. It was an audition for good old vagina deodorant. I didn't even know that existed. Like, and you being a natural, you know, all the health stuff that you've done, is that even good for you? I just can't even imagine. Look, I can tell you from the script, it had no nasties in it. I know that. And I will say I've done an ad for my, on my podcast like a year ago. I did an ad on my podcast for... Vagina wipes too. It must be just calling for me. I don't know. Oh, wow. Oh, that's hilarious. So step back for me and tell me, like, why is it you got into acting? Because when I first met you, you were a yoga instructor and I'm not going to tell you your um, history. Tell us. <laughs> Give us the short, sharp view of where you've got to today because you've been doing a ton of things. And then, um, you know, why acting? All right. I'll do it as snappy as I can. So I started off in nutritional medicine at uni and about halfway through the course, I was like, oh, I want to be like Steve Irwin. And I saved up, bought a camera, got three jobs to buy this camera because that stuff used to be so expensive back then. And I'd set up and every morning I'd make my brekkie and I'd talk to camera and I'd be like, these oats are like an intestinal broom, you know, like, and I just practice every day. And then I Got a loan, brought out a film crew to where I lived in Queensland and we filmed this online series called Fruits and Roots. And I booked a guest that thought it was a porno because of the name. And I literally, <laughs> we went to their location in Mount Warning because they had this incredible natural artesian water. And they said when I rocked up, they're like, this is a porno, right? And I was like, what? And they're like, Fruits and Roots, Lola Berry, you sent it from a Gmail account. Like, you know, and I was like, what? And they let us use their helicopter and everything. We did not film a porno. We filmed the medicinal benefits of their incredible water, but so funny. So from that, that spurred morning television for me. So morning TV was my start in media. So I was about 22 or 23 when I started in morning telly. And then the first time I went on morning TV, my website crashed because people were trying to buy a book that never existed. So I was like, shiver me timbers, I better write a book. So the first book I did was just like all my TV segments into different chapters, like food for mood, you know, food for sleep, food for detoxing, food for liver. And it was just kind of a loads of typos. I remember there was a recipe for rhubarb crumble and I left the rhubarb out, you know, like there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of issues. And then I realized I love television. Like I felt alive on a TV set. I just love that it was like a crew of 40. You've got multi-cam sets, so you've got to change your eyeline depending on where the red light was flashing. I just loved it all. And then I signed to that morning show on Channel 10 and it changed hands and changed shows and I still was managed to stay on. I was just like, oh, I want to do more of this. And that's kind of been where I've sat in that kind of like author, media, nutrition world for the better part of like my 20s, I would say, nearly all of my 20s. And then at 31, I started seeing a therapist because I went through a rough breakup. And I said to him, gee, I think I'm living my backup career. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, I've always wanted to be an actor. And he goes, okay, you better start training. So I just started training and I've been training now since 31. I'm 37, so six years, nonstop pretty much. And I remember I was doing this piece from a Tennessee Williams play and we were putting it up on stage for the first time and the director was incredible and, and working with me on this big, chunky monologue. 
And I remember feeling that like electricity was running through my veins. Like there was something bigger than myself and like my heart felt like it was exploding like in the best way and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is what it is. This is what it is to feel the magic of being in this creative space as an actor. And if I didn't have that experience of feeling what it could feel like, I don't know if I would have pursued it because it's brutal and tough and horrible as well. But because I had that experience, I got a taste of the elixir, like the magic that I could feel as a creative. And in Australia, working as a nutritionist in media, like they just rotate you with five other nutritionists. So as soon as you do a morning TV segment, they won't let you back on the show for three months. So, you know, you're getting a very small amount of that thing you love when really I was like, I need to be doing more creative stuff. And so that's why I've gone down the path as an actor. But like, I would love to be like Steve Colbert and host a late night talk show. Like I love, love all of that. Like I, when I was in LA recently, I went to tapings of James Corden, of Jimmy Kimmel. And I was like, oh my God, this is phenomenal. So like, there's quite a few things I want to tick off my bucket list. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) I love it. But the thing I've always loved about you is you're not afraid to give stuff a go. And I think that's that zest for life and that interest. And have you always been like that? And I guess that fear of failure that most people have had, you know, or most people have, did you never have that or do you just not give a shit or like what, how do you navigate that with some of these projects? Because you've had a lot of businesses as well throughout this time and I don't know whether all of them being successful or not. Yeah, I forgot to even mention the smoothie bar, which ended up was a lot of fun but it ended up bleeding cash so we had to sell it after three years. Do you know what it is though? I can handle the feeling of fear but I love that feeling straight after the fear. It's like courage and it's like, you do get this little like dopamine rush of, hey, I just did that scary thing. Yesterday I had to have my first ever internal ultrasound, which is pretty much like they shove a dildo up you and the sonographer is like looking around, checking your ovaries out, your uterus out and stuff. And I was petrified. Absolutely I thought you were auditioning petrified. for another scene or something in the camera. I've had to do a very full-on audition for a scene that I was like, whoa. Anyway, that's a whole other story, which I can totally share. And I just remembered thinking and I had the most gentle sonographer ever and he was the sweetest guy and I remember thinking in the moment, oh, my goodness, this isn't as bad as I feared and what I had built up in my head. And I left the experience feeling empowered and feeling like, you know what, you face that little fear. And now you know a little bit more for next time you're going because I'm going to have to have a few of them, you know. And I just think like obviously we don't like the feeling of fear. None of us like it. But when you get past it, you get a little win and provided it's not a bad fear like a murderer or something and it's a good fear, you can usually grow and evolve and become more and more fearless as a result. Yeah, there is some sort of stat, isn't it, about the percentage of the amount that we worry about something is just so much more exacerbated versus actually what the reality is of that particular fear. So, and often, you know, we're a bit like, you know, procrastinating, isn't it? Like you put stuff off and off and you're like, just bloody do it. You're like, oh shit, that took me five minutes and I've been spending five weeks thinking about it. So yeah, it's frustrating. You talk about one of the signs, I guess, that throughout, you know, your life and maybe facing your fears or, you know, failing through stuff about, you know, where it leads you to your life purpose and some of those signs that you pick up. Tell me more about that. I think it comes back again to like, for me, that feeling like I'm a big hippie deep down. Like I know I seem like really confident and gung-ho and woo science and I love all that stuff. But like I'm quite intuitive and I am really into human behavior. And I 
saying to my boyfriend I can read people really well, <laughs> which I think you need to as an actor because I think good acting is human behaviour. So I think you'd learn really quickly to read humans and understand like, you know, your breath changes when you're anxious or your breath changes when you're angry or, you know, like it's so freaking cool studying humans. But I think for me, it's like a feeling I get within myself, like even the fertility journey that we're on at the moment, basically um, boss and I want to freeze embryos now. We're 37 because we're not ready to have kids yet and we haven't ticked off our career dreams yet. And where we live, Byron Bay, it's kind of a regional rural town and so nobody's doing what we're doing. People that are going through the IVF journey have had trouble falling pregnant and really want a bambino and I fully get that but we're not in that scenario and so I'm coming up against a lot of like pushback and I it made me question and like I've had a lot of sleepless nights and I'm like are we doing the right thing should we not be doing it should we just risk it and try in our early 40s and hope for the best kind of thing and then when I got the call from the doctor going, great news, you're approved, we're going ahead in November, like I just got this sense of my whole body felt calm and I was like, right, you're on the right path. And I got that same feeling when I bought out my first best-selling book. I know it sounds really weird, but when it arrived at my house, because you get sent an advanced, like it's called an ARC, advanced reader's copy, you're kind of seeing the first copy before it hits shelves, a couple of months before it hits the shelves. And I remember usually I get really excited and this one book, that was my first big book, like best-selling book, I just felt calm like when I saw it and I was like, this is a beautiful book, I'm proud of it, I'm really excited about it, but I felt really calm and that was the book that flew. Is that the Happy Cookbook? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 I have that book. Actually, a girlfriend bought it for me many years ago. It's a beautiful book. It's a fun book and it's good recipes. Good recipes, but beautiful imagery. You shine through it. It's just so lovely. But um, but sorry, I just you know wanted to pick up on that because that is a great book. So yeah, in terms of the fertility, because that's really interesting what you're doing. And are there many people I haven't really heard? I mean, people kind of freeze their embryos for lots of different other reasons, often health related, and people accept that. And obviously me having written a book about it's okay not to have kids and being judged about having kids or not. This whole topic of conversation is fascinating to me and the fact that you're getting, you know, people having an opinion about what you're doing just pisses me off. It's your body, it's your life. This is what I keep telling people. Live your life that's true to you. Stop giving a fuck about what anyone else thinks because ultimately they don't really give a shit. When it comes down to it, when people are at their essence, they only really care about themselves and their own life and their immediate family. They just think they have an opinion about others. So how are you navigating that? And I think also everyone's journey is different. Like boss and I just had a rule from 35 that we'd check in at every birthday and be like, yo, how are you feeling about kiddos? And I was, to be honest, too scared to freeze eggs. Like that was the truth. I was too fearful. I didn't want to pump myself full of hormones. I didn't like the idea of the operation. I've never been under a general. Like there was just so much fear because I was undereducated as well. Like I was I was putting my head in the sand. I was choosing not to do the uncomfortable thing, which was take a meeting or start to educate myself. And I was in LA, this this is the honest truth. So I've never been maternal. I'm still not maternal, but I was in LA this year and it was coming up to my 37th birthday. And I realized how hard it is going to be for me to make it as an actor in LA. Like the chances are 2%, right? But I'm going to give it a red hot crack. And so I got really clear and I said to my boyfriend, this is a three to five year process of slogging it you know, pounding the pavement, going to auditions, getting a whole lot of donuts, a lot of no's. The reality is I might get a bite at 40. 
you know, that's the truth. And I thought if I get to 40 and maybe get a bite and then the career starts to roll and you're getting all these opportunities that you've dreamt of in your 30s, well, then the window is going to close for us to have kids. And so I said to him, if we kind of do it now, it doesn't matter if things roll in the early 40s because we've got this safeguard and we've got these embryos on us effectively. And it, it was honestly the reason why we're doing it is because I know how hard it will be for both of us to succeed. Matt's a composer. We're both going to be going to LA and trying to crack a foreign world. And I just, seeing how brutal and hard it was, was actually a huge key player in our choices. Because I think up until then, we thought, oh, we'll just try 40, 41 and see what happens, which still might be a reality for us. But like, it is so hard in LA as it to make it. And so I figure if we've got this thing, it means we can take the time, like we've got this little like an insurance policy, a little bit of a future plan that protects us that if we do get a win at 40 or 41, we can run at that win as opposed to, oh, no, we need to come back to Australia and have a kid, you know. So that's actually why. I think the thing, Lola, is that, you know, it is your decision and it's your body and the technology's there and both of you are making you know you're clearly communicating really clearly with each other and making that decision together so all the things to me make sense you have sound mind and it, it is your life and you know and you've got the ability to be able to pay for it as well because that's the other thing this sort of shit's expensive right but the question I've got for you is when you said about you're not particularly maternal so why do you want to have kids? Because I was always hugely maternal and always just assumed I would and then it never happened, unfortunately. But, yeah, I'm intrigued by you recognising that within yourself but still feeling that you want to do that. There have been a few little things that have happened that I've gone, oh, okay, so I'm still not maternal and I don't know if I ever will be maternal but my mum's not maternal and she's friggin' awesome and we have a really great friendship like my mum's flying up to help me with all the injections while I go through this so I don't want that to deter me from experiencing or having this experience with my partner the other thing is my partner although he wouldn't want to admit it some days is hugely paternal and selfless and full of love and so that's also being a key player for me and he's never put pressure on me ever but I can see how phenomenal he is with his nieces and nephews and I'm like you know I think that we might end up kicking ourselves if we don't even explore this option. But we've also said, we you mentioned the money, we can't afford to do it more than once, this cycle. And so if for some reason we don't get as many embryos as we hope for, we're going to have to process and work through that result because we are aware that we can't afford to do it again at this time in our lives. And what about other options? Have you ever thought about other stuff? Oh, my God, totally. We're open. Yeah. We're so open and people usually screw their faces up when I say this. I'm an American, permanent American resident, and I've had friends that have had babies through surrogacy. And people look at me in Australia and go, you're crazy, you're crazy. And I'm like, well, am I? Like I'm not attached to any one idea needing to fit us. I just know that where we're at right now, we have the ability and like you said, the access to the science to be able to do this thing that I am absolutely petrified about. I don't want to pretend that I'm like, woo, go go me, like I'm scared. And I will be honest, like I'm getting some lovely feedback about sharing on Instagram. I'm also getting some really 
negative feedback about being too old, about that I'll be an old mum and that, you know, I won't ever meet my grandchildren, you know, by putting it off. And, like, obviously I've had to work oh through all goodness. of that with my therapist. <laughs> yeah, but just people's assumption about shit, though. I just, you know, I'm such a massive advocate of living for now. I guess when you've dealt with your own mortality like I have and, you know, nearly died through cancer, then it's just like you never know what's around the corner. It doesn't matter if you had a kid at, you know, 20 and you still may never meet your bloody grandkids because they may not ever come or you may die in a bus crash. Like, God, that shit's me. People's, people's stuff about that must totally, frustrate Totally, but you. you know what? Like I wrote my will recently and I put in it, you know, if, if I die, I'd like Matt to get them and then if the, our embryos don't get used, I'd like them to be donated to queer groups. Like I am very aware that like, Things don't always work out the way you want them to, but I know that if we go through this after we have access to our embryos, I absolutely want them donated to queer groups. It's really important to me because, like, I'm seeing how many people do need help around this area and and if I can be one little bit of help and that can be passed on to someone, like, happy days, you know? It's like the epic element about that, you know, being, you know, fearlessly failing, I guess, you know, this is, you don't know what's going to happen, but you're willing to give it a go. And I love the fact that you're kind of future proofing because you can, and it's no one else's business or opinion. And there's lots of people that are older parents now, like the statistics now of 20 year olds is they're all going to live to a hundred. So, you know, the fact that you become a mom at 45 or 50, if you're able to amazing, like, you know, you'll have another 50 years with your kid, which is more like than my mum had with me, you know. So you just never know what's around the corner. But good on you, Lola, for, um, you know, really shaking that up as well and really challenging people's notion about that. I'm sure it must be hard and frustrating at times because people have their opinion, especially on socials, because you do share a lot. So then they'll feel like they want to give that back. But if you wanted to say something to those people, what would it be? Oh, I fully understand that everybody has a different journey and everybody's life experience is different and I'm aware that I'm a career gal (laughs) and I also am aware that's not for everybody. And why is that a bad thing though, right? I couldn't have it any other way. Like I know if I had kids in my 20s, I would probably regret it if I'm being completely honest with you because I've been able to live in all different parts of the world and chase careers and be on sets and figure out what I love and what I don't love and fail epically and yeah, set up a smoothie bar and then watch it crumble, you know, like I've been able to do all these things because I have been able to be so focused on that, you know, one thing. So I don't think that anybody's way of living like has to match mine. But what I did, I said this to a response yesterday about the age thing. And I just said, listen, like, I understand that our choices don't necessarily match yours, but like, I respect yours and that's what I'm asking for in return is just respect. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. If you want to leave us with some of the tips of, you know, fearlessly failing for people, what are the things that you would encourage people to, I guess, bring, you know, or invite more failure into their life to make it more enriching or, you know, challenging them more? How would you kind of, you know, advise on that? A few things. The first thing is like find the stuff that you love and run at that like really sit with yourself about like what is my dream career what do I want to do what do I want to be doing with my time where do I want to be living what do I want to be like you know really figure out with what you love and like with clients I used to say you know what would you do if nothing else mattered where would you be and you can get really clear on like your goals but then I would say the second most important thing if not the most important thing is like having the right support network I have a therapist I have a naturopath I have an acupuncturist you know like 
having people that are on your team that understand your goals. Like even with the fertility stuff, I changed specialists because the first fertility doctor didn't seem to understand my goals and I felt judged for choosing to do what we were doing. Whereas the second fertility doctor looked at us and goes, oh, great, 37-year-old embryos in your 45-year-old body. Sounds great. You just got to look after yourself. And I thought, okay, you're the one for us. Isn't that amazing? You want your support network to be strong. I bet the same goes for friends. And just like you were talking about your book and talking about shit people say, I've written about in Fearlessly Failing, I wrote about like friendship breakups. And I think that when you are like living courageously and going after your dreams, whatever they are, personal career, you really need to make sure that your friends are on your team and that like love you unconditionally, but want the best for you and will hold you accountable and they're not going to sugarcoat stuff. And I just, for me, that's been a big one of letting go of friends that it's just the wrong value system and and sometimes ulterior motive as well and and just kind of like wanting something from you or a bit takey or, you know, like just selfish or mean. I think like letting go of the friends that are on a completely different path to you and your values are misaligned is going to make space for epic friends to come through that have got your back, that are like one of the reasons that with the embryo thing is I have had a very lifelong friend and he goes to me, Lola, I know you. I've known you since you were 18 years old, 17, 18 years old. He's like, freeze your eggs. He was like, I know you. And and he's like, and and like, because I trust that friend and that friend knows my value system, knows what's important to me. And he goes, here's your options. I'll give them to you. Have a kid now because you're fertile. And he goes, and that's going to affect your career goals. And he said, or put it on ice and chase your career. And he goes, they're your two options. So what do you want? And I go, I want to chase my career. He goes, done. And he goes, I know your values. I know who you are as a person. I do believe that you would struggle if you didn't explore the option. And I said, okay, cool. And and so it was like, real friends are going to give it to you straight. And then you, then you work with the therapist. I think you've got to work on your mental health if you're going to do something like what I'm doing right now. But I think in general, like if you've got a career dream, you've got to want to you know, do something scary and fearlessly fail, you need to have that support network that is going to catch you and go, okay, you fell, it's all good, we're going to get back up because some days you're not going to feel like getting back up. Mm. Like I always say, like coaching, you know, as an ex-athlete and you have that, that team around you or as you're saying as an actor, like into that world, like people just see that single actor, but there's a whole horde of people that, you know, make them who they are, like all the things, whether it's, you know, makeup, hair, you know, all the all the elements and then, coach I know you've been doing some voice training and all those kind of elements as well it's a plethora of people to support you isn't it and we think that we go out in the world and we see these you know amazing humans and we think that they've got all their shit together not realizing that there's this whole team behind them so I think it's a really beautiful point oh so important and with actors in LA as well if you go to them oh you got a therapist they're like oh I have five I have a counselor (laughs) for this I have a therapist for this I have a relationship specialist I have this that works on my energetic field like honestly you won't meet an actor in LA without about three therapists oh that's brilliant Lola it was just so gorgeous to chat to you today thank you for sharing your insights on this and I wish you and Boz all the very best on this journey that you're on now. I think you are making the absolute right decision for yourselves and, you know, you've thought it through, you've done all the stuff. So it it feels right. And as you say, that whole element of being calm with it and feeling, you know, within yourself that it's the right thing to do is the best, best judge for you, I reckon. So it's been an absolute delight. 
such an honour to jump on, Michelle. Love this. Love your pod and so wrapped to um, be here today. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favour? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com.